Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 89. I'm your host, Dan Holzman. Today's special guest is super talented juggler, Jack Denger. Before I talk to Jack, let's thank our sponsor, the IJA, International Jugglers Association. To find out about this great group of jugglers, go to juggle.org. To find out about my new book, Alex the Great, go to amazon.com. I wrote a book for the juggling audience about a young juggler who performs at Pier 39 and is mentored by an experienced juggler in the ways of street performing. So if you like reading, you like juggling, check out my book, Alex the Great, at Amazon.com. Okay, no more brouhaha, no more fooling around. Drop everything. Get ready for Jack Denger. Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 89. My special guest, Mr. Jack Denger. Hi, Jack. Hey, Dan. How are you doing? Let me ask you a question. Do you ever think about changing your name to Jack Danger? <laughs> I've definitely, I've definitely been called uh, Danger Zone, Jack Danger, all types of things before. So I think it would make a great stage name. Or if I were a, a superhero of some sort, <laughs> I think it would be great. Do people think your name is Danger when they hear it? Just by, just by hearing it. People comment on it. I normally get like Dinger and Denger and uh, other variations. So, but people do like to, people do like to say Danger. Yes. Well, because my middle name is Danger. So it'd be quite a, quite a coincidence. Is that a stage name or is that no, on your birth? No. I, I've always done this for stage names. I never thought Holzman was a very good, Danger is a good name. I think Danger would be better. But I never thought <laughs> Holzman was a very good stage name. So I, I've been a Danny Mulligan when I did a golf act. Oh, yeah. I was Danny Da Vinci or Daniel Da Vinci when I worked like libraries and schools. And of course, Dan Raspini when I was part of a team. Oh, sure. Hey, let's go back to like your very beginning. I know you learned very early what was your first memories of juggling? What was the first time you became aware of there was something like juggling in the world? Yeah, I can't remember the first time I saw a juggler or thought about juggling. Um, my mom actually got me a kit for Christmas one year. I think I was seven. And we had seen uh, Cirque, Cirque du Soleil show in Orlando, Florida at Disney World a couple months prior. And there wasn't a juggler in the show at that time. They had circus acts, trampoline, flying trapeze, things like that, uh, but no no juggler. And so I think my my mom saw that I enjoyed that quite a bit, uh, was really into it, and she got me the, the little kit. And I think, you know, it might have been the next year for Christmas or maybe for my birthday, I received a, a big DVD box set of all of the Cirque du Soleil shows up to that point. And there were, uh, there were a couple of jugglers in those. I know, um, Miguel Herrera was on uh, the DVD. Uh, he competed at IJA, I think. I competed against Miguel Herrera. He actually beat me. He came in first oh, and I yeah. came in, I came in second. He came in first and I came in second in uh, Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I think that, that might've been my first memory of, of seeing jugglers. Uh, but really I, I had no prior exposure to juggling when I learned. That's too bad because uh, La Nuba was the show that Gatto was in for so many years. Correct. Yeah, yeah. He he came on uh, a bit later. I think I shot, saw the show in 2004, and he might have started there seven or eight years later. So, yeah, I know when people when people say, I, I learned to juggle after seeing La Nuba, it's kind of true, but Gatto wasn't in the show at that point. I, I did see Gatto a few years after that uh, in Kuza, mm -hmm. I think it was, uh, which was awesome. It's really cool. And what were your parents doing? What's what's their profession? My mom at that point was, uh, I guess, just being a mom. I have an older sister. She's uh, 
18 months older than me and my dad uh, operates uh, construction equipment or operated construction equipment. Uh, he passed just just before I learned how to juggle, just before, or just before I saw Lanuba, actually. Yeah, he owned a construction company and owned construction equipment and operated it himself and did all sorts of uh, all sorts of stuff like that. So that was I was really young at the time. My mom was around as a as a full time mom at that point um, to take care of my sister and I. Oh, sorry to hear that your father passed so young. That's a, a sad, uh, Jack. Sorry to hear that. Was your mother interested in show business or just encouraged you to, to be in the circus or just thought it was something you would enjoy? I think she just thought it was something that I would like. I hadn't seen a circus up to that point when I saw Cirque du Soleil, and I just remember en- enjoying it quite a bit, and I had never seen anything like that at that point. And my mom kind of picked up on that, and uh, I think she just threw in the juggling kit as a sort of a low-cost uh, stocking stuffer gift for Christmas that year. There, I'm not sure that there was a whole lot of thought that went into it. No, I've had a lot of talks with jugglers who've started early, but most of them have been taught by their parents, like Chris Cremo. I just interviewed Dieter Tasso. So at seven, that's a very young age to start, because it seems like there's two stories. There's the teenagers, like myself, who start like when they're 13 or 14, find out on their own. But I've never heard about someone who learned that young without someone really coaching them. What was your experience like learning at seven just sort of on your own? Or did someone help you? It was really just me and uh, in the the book that I received. I think the kit was called uh, Juggling 123. And as, as I remember, I learned pretty slowly. I mean, I was instantly hooked trying to figure it out. And it was it, it took me several weeks to figure out how the three ball cascade worked. Uh, I don't think I was really on the internet at that time, so I couldn't seek out any other resources like, uh, you know, like Young Jugglers Today kind of can. There wasn't really a community around me at that point of jugglers, so it was definitely a slow process at first. And I've learned about the early early juggling careers of a lot of other uh, jugglers that are um, sort of prominent or active today. And it seems like other people improved quite a bit faster than I did. I improved very slowly at first, and it was not something that necessarily came naturally to me. I had taken golf lessons uh, before that because my dad was a big golfer, so I might have had some semblance of coordination at that point, but uh, it was slow. It was definitely slow. Would it be something you would do every day? Did you have kind of a regular practice or just something you'd pick up once in a while? You know, I think it was something that I kind of started to do every day. It became sort of my little project, I think, at that point, or just I had had various hobbies, uh, I think, at that point, like, um, oh, you know, what did they call those? I guess string games. You'd have like a loop of string and you'd make different formations in between your hands. I really like Oh, yeah. What is that called? Um, Cat's Cradle, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that. And, you know, I just have those little things that I'd... uh, have little obsessions over. Another one was geography. I really loved uh, looking at maps and seeing all the different countries and their capitals and their flags, all sorts of things. So I think juggling kind of fell into that category of little things that I was interested in and it just stuck. I think I was I was probably doing it a little bit every day. Of course, the more you get into it, the more time you, you sink into it, the more time you practice. But I think for the, at that point, it was mostly for the challenge and for fun. And what was your first breakthrough? Did you meet someone or see someone? At what point did you kind of go, oh, and have kind of a go from sort of having it be a hobby to where it became in your life? Because you became a very, very serious juggler. Was there a certain turning point for you? 
I mean, as a young person? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, did you see somebody or meet somebody who really had a big influence on you? Uh, maybe not. Maybe not a specific person. I think, uh, you know, I think the community plays an important role in everybody's development as a juggler. And in Indianapolis, there's not a huge juggling scene at that time. There was the Indie Jugglers or the Circle City Jugglers Club. I think I was eight years old when I started going to that, and you know, we lived just outside of Indianapolis. So every Sunday afternoon, my mom would <laughs> drive me down. 25 30 minutes downtown and i would juggle with uh there are maybe five or six jugglers there doing basic club passing and you know some of them could do five clubs things like that so once i started to find other jugglers in person i think that definitely changed things for me and also uh, when i sort of became old enough to use the internet and became aware of rec juggling which was a big juggling forum at the time and uh youtube and seeing um jugglers at conventions and practice videos and stuff like that I I really was able to see what's possible with juggling, and I think that sort of gave me some incentive to improve, uh, to see what see what other people could do. And what did you gravitate towards when you saw juggling? Was there certain, did you like more artistic? Obviously, you're a very uh, strong technical juggler. Is that what kind of interested you from the beginning? Did you ever kind of delve into the comedy jugglers or the, you know, the Michael Motion type of juggling? I think seeing the jugglers in Cirque du Soleil was really a big thing for me. Those were the earliest jugglers that I saw. So, and then they did all sorts of things. As you know, Miguel Herrera, bounce juggler. I didn't, I never really learned any bounce juggling, but seeing Eric Borgman, I think that's his name. He did soccer balls uh, in one of Cirque du Soleil's earlier shows. So those are just, you know, various styles of juggling. And, you know, once I got online, I sort of learned about sight swap. And that was really when I became exposed to the IJA and the WJF and and uh, seeing what was going on at those festivals. And I think at that point, I saw some of the big technical jugglers at the time, like Anthony Gatto and Vova Galchenko. And that's, um, I think that's where I was kind of won. But early, early on, it was all sorts of stuff. And in your opinion, who, who is the best juggler you've seen? If you had to choose one technical juggler. Or just that you think, like, for me, I think Anthony Gatto is the best. Uh, as far as his, his consistency, his, his career... His ability to do the difficult stuff in front of uh, the public. David Kane had a video recently of like the top twenty-five dollars you should know or something like that, and it ended with a clip of Gatto, and it was just insane. Yeah, yeah, I I'd say he's got to be the best ever. And I, I think I've come to appreciate just how good he is even more as I've as I've gotten better and as I've gotten older because I can, I can really put into context with my own juggling just how good he was and just how consistent he was and especially the fact that. He could do most of his juggling with a ball bouncing on his head or with a balance of some sort. There's nobody doing that type of stuff now. And he started so early and had great coaching early on. And just the the trajectory that he, I think, followed from his sort of adolescence through his teenage years and then to his early adulthood. And even in his 30s, I think he continued to improve is really amazing. And I'd be surprised if anybody ever gets uh, to that level again, because it'll, it'll be remembered for a long time. Yeah, I've always I've always had a lot of admiration for Gatto. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate that he's decided to sort of step away from the juggling community because, like you said, I think one of the best things about being a juggler is the people around us, the family of jugglers. So I, I wish hope he hope he comes back one day and, and understands how much he's appreciated by the juggling community. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I kind of understand that to an extent because maybe this is a, a great tragedy of 
performing jugglers is that at a certain point it does become their job and it becomes business and for Gatto uh, my understanding is that he really only practiced to be ready for his performances and he was doing the same act or a version of the same act for well, probably the last 20 years of his uh, maybe the last 10 15 years mm-hmm. of his career so it wasn't really an activity I don't think that he enjoyed especially but something that he felt he had to do because it was it was his profession that's a good point because you see a lot of jugglers, there is a big divide, especially uh, in my generation, where a lot of jugglers had to start doing longer performances. When I came up, there was mostly the day of the 12-minute act, the 8-minute act, like Dick Franco, Albert Lucas, Chris Cremo. And then when the cruise ships wanted longer shows and people needed to do an hour's worth of material, they had to start developing a lot more material. But a lot of acts like Gatto or, or Brun or you know the classics, they did the one act for as long as they performed, pretty much, you know, slight variations. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine at a certain point, if you're doing it just in that context, the idea of being with other jugglers or watching other jugglers uh, is not as important as if you're constantly trying to innovate and trying to create and, and improve. So I could see where you'd want to, it's not as important if you're just doing it just as a job. But it's sad, sad. Hey, yeah. tell me a little bit about Sideswap, because I'm a guy also who didn't really grow up with Sideswap. I'm pretty sure I understand it. So my understanding is that the, the, the numbers correspond to the different heights of the throws. Is that pretty much? That's exactly right. That was something that I yeah learned about early on in, in my juggling. And I think I've always been kind of mathematically inclined. So the idea that, you know, you can check for valid site swaps by adding up all of the numbers in them and then finding the average to determine the number of objects. I always thought that was kind of cool. I have no idea what you just said. What, yeah. So so you could say you could add up all the numbers. Give me that. Give me that again, because I've never heard that or, or understand that. What What are you saying? So to determine if a site swap is valid or if it's if it's an actual pattern, you can add up all the numbers in the site swap and then divide it by the number of numbers that there are. Uh, that's so essentially find the average. For instance, with seven four four, seven plus four plus four is fifteen, and then divide that by three, and you find that that's in a pattern with five objects. Oh, because let's say let's say a thing like seven four four. Could you do that with three or four or five, or is it a particular number of objects that have to be used for that particular site swap? Yeah, that would be a, a five object pattern, and you could. Oh. Yeah, you could find the same shape of pattern just with with four objects by doing six three three. You know that adds up to twelve, and if you divide that by three, you'll you'll come out with four. So it's the same pattern, throwing one high and then two low throws underneath, but with four and five balls. And of course, you can do that with six and seven as well. I always found it interesting to just consider the possibilities when it comes to site swaps. And that's not that's not really something that I explore a whole lot now in in my juggling, uh, looking for new site swaps. But early on, I, I found it an interesting way to, to read about and to talk about juggling. I, I remember once I sort of learned basic three ball patterns like columns or tennis or you know a behind the back throw claw catches things like that side swap became a sort of natural extension of the basic pattern where you could figure out different ways to throw three balls that didn't necessarily involve throwing under your leg or behind your back or something like that now when you're doing more complex side swaps like with let's say five clubs or or seven balls are you actually thinking of the numbers when you're doing the throws yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it sort of depends on what the pattern is. For a lot of them, I've sort of built up a mental representation in my head of what the pattern should look like 
when it's perfect, sort of how high each ball should be thrown and what the rhythm feels like in my hands and all of those sorts of things. So uh, normally the numbers sort of become secondary and it becomes just a matter of a matter of feeling in, in the same way that, you know, a, f- a five ball cascade would um, to a juggler who's been doing it for a while. You know, you may not be thinking about every individual throw at that point, but more just the overall the overall shape and the the rhythm of the pattern. And what are some classic side swaps? And if you said the numbers, the people into side swaps would go, oh, yeah, I know that pattern. Because I don't think I would know any of them. What what are some of the the basic side swap numbers or patterns? So here's a good one. So with three balls, uh, four, two, three. So four, two, three. Okay. All right. So the, the two would represent a held ball where you don't throw it. So it's kind of just... It's sort of a variation on columns. It's it's hard to describe just using words, mm-hmm. but it's basically one ball in the middle going back and forth, and it's with a self-throw, a four on either side. And there are so many different variations that can be done with that where you throw the ball that's normally held in a different way, or you know you can incorporate all different types of body throws into that. And the four-ball version, the five-ball version, six-ball version, seven-ball version... That's normally a first sort of basic side swap that people will learn with a new number. Let's see. I think another one that people really like is 97531, which is a five ball pattern. So based on the heights, you throw nine really high, seven just underneath it, and so on. So it creates kind of a kind of a line in the air where And are they alternating are they alternating throws is by each number means another hand goes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. It kind of creates a, a big line in the air. Yeah, like I said, I've never, like when I, when I, by the time they started coming around, I remember I think Paul Klimak and uh, I remember Bapo mm-hmm. and some of the early uh, Arthur LaBelle. It just, I'd already been juggling, you know, 20 years or something. It just didn't <laughs> stick. What's the most difficult side swap you can do? Ooh, let's see. Or that you've seen. Like, like someone said, or is there one that's like deemed like possible, but no one's done it yet? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think a side swap that a lot of technical jugglers or a lot of side swap jugglers really gravitate to is uh, variations on the the nine seven five three one pattern, mm-hmm. and especially with seven balls. Uh, so with seven balls, the side swap would be DB nine seven five three one. After that nine height, and once you get into ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen ball height, we start to use letters instead oh. of numbers. So the D and the B represent very high throws all the way down to the one, which is just passed across. So hmm. I've seen a couple jugglers do the eight ball version of that trick, and I, I have yet to see somebody do it with nine. But that's a really difficult pattern to to do just once, and then also to run it from both sides, do it alternatingly. So where your non-dominant hand is throwing one ball really, really high, that's that's something that not a lot of jugglers can do, and that I can't do very well either. Now, what's your dominant hand? Are you right-handed? I'm left-handed. Oh, you're left-handed. Uh, as a child, did anybody try to make you right-handed? I know when we were young, uh, being left-handed was discouraged. Uh-huh. I don't think that was the same when you were coming up. But in high school, people actually tried to make you learn to write and stuff with your other hand, with your right hand. Yeah, yeah. no, I had, I didn't have that experience. But, I mean, there have been plenty of times where I think being, uh, being right-handed would be a little bit easier or would look better. I, I personally think with juggling, right-handed showers look better to an audience, for instance, Hmm. Because you're throwing left to right for them. Does that make sense? Interesting. You think the way the eyes work? Yeah, yeah. Well, the way the eyes, like they kind of work left to right. So 
I could see that. Yeah, it might look odd going the other direction just because either we're not used to it or because you said the eyes don't operate that way. Yeah, right. I do my shower patterns left-handed um, along with the rest of my juggling. And I would think that it'd be cool to learn it the other way. I guess that'd be a nice sort of visual effect to learn it from from both sides. But I, I really haven't met a lot of left-handed jugglers. I can't think of, I can't really think of any off the top of my head. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure that's something people sort of keep track of. I know in, I know in football, for instance, people talk about left-handed quarterbacks. Uh, but I, I don't know that there's that same conversation with juggling. But it's it's certainly not very common. No, it'd be interesting. Now, I know you play the trumpet. And we'll talk about a little bit about your experiences with the drum corps. Is that, do you play that left-handed or right-handed or does it matter? Trumpet is something that can really only be played right-handed. Mm-hmm. I guess you could, you could play it left-handed, but I've never seen anybody that does that. The way the instrument is built is to play or to push the valves down with your right hand and when i was learning all of that i really experienced much of um it wasn't very difficult for me to learn to learn it right-handed i mean there were three valves three buttons to push and at that point i had been juggling for you know four or five years and my coordination was higher than it would have been otherwise i think yeah let's talk a little about your extracurricular activities outside of juggling i know you went to butler university uh, when did you become involved with the drum corps? I think it's called the Blue Stars Drum and Bugle mm-hmm. Corps. What interests you in that? And what did you uh, did you do some competitions? What was your experience like in the drum corps? I started playing trumpet in middle school, I think in seventh grade, and I actually started playing it because I don't know if hopefully you know Doug Sayers. Uh, he competed in the IGA. Of course, great juggler. Yeah, IGA competitions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the music, he used a lot of uh, brass band music, and I thought that was super cool. And I found out that he played trumpet. And I guess I thought to myself, it was middle school. A lot of kids had just joined band. And I thought, you know what? I should I should try this as well. I had, I had heard good things about the program, and that's really when the trumpet playing kind of took off. And I wasn't very serious about it at first, uh, but I played through high school. My first experience seeing a drum corps was the Blue Devils, which they're from uh, Concord, California, just outside of Oakland. Mm-hmm. They came and practiced at my high school on the football field the weekend of uh, the World Championships, which are also held in Indianapolis. And it was just the the coolest thing I had ever seen. I mean, it was like it was like marching band, but done at the highest possible level. The show design was so creative. I think that year they did uh, they did a show about the Dada movement, which was an an art movement that mm-hmm. came out. Out of uh, World War One in sure. Europe. Um, yeah, yeah, kind of a weird uh, topic for a, a drum corps, the Dada movement. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, and I, I think I, I think I was really drawn to that. Whereas other marching band or drum corps shows I had seen dealt with much much more conventional topics and ideas. They came with something especially artistic and intriguing and yeah i was really drawn to that and i think at that point decided okay this is something that i want to do if i ever get good enough and my senior year of high school i auditioned for the blue stars uh which they are located out of lacrosse wisconsin and uh they accepted me uh, which was really cool i got a spot there and we yeah i toured with them and competed for two years and um had a great time. After those two years, I decided I wanted to take it to the sort of the the next level. And I really wanted to march with the Blue Devils, which was the first group that I saw live. Yeah, I flew out to California, to San Francisco and auditioned for them there. And eventually, after a couple of
couple of rounds of callbacks got a spot and that's a that's a very competitive group to get into they've won i think 19 world championships at this point in my opinion they're unequivocally the best that's really what drew me there and uh, my first year i marched with them we did win a world championship and it was it was fantastic so in total i marched four years those four years were through college so that was really my primary kind of activity through college, actually. Juggling kind of took a backseat at that point. I had been practicing, I had been juggling for 10 years when I went to college. And at that point, I had practiced quite a bit and competed and performed quite a bit. And I was a little, um, a little burnt out. So that's kind of when Trumpet stepped into the picture a little more. Did they ever try to incorporate your juggling skills into one of their routines? Or did they know about your juggling? The either group, the Blue Stars or the Blue Devils? Yeah, my first year Blue Stars, um, it just so happened, and I, I did not know this going into the audition, that the show was going to be uh, circus-themed. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. It was called Sideshow, so it was sort of like a um, traveling carnival theme, and so I, I actually did know a couple of people that were on the design team there from high school, and so they did know that I could juggle. Right. Yeah, they uh, incorporated my juggling into the nice into the show, which was fun. I think it was probably 30, 30 seconds that I was juggling, and uh, they had stages set up all over the field, and I did a little four-club routine uh, for about 30 seconds there, and it was a really fun experience. I mean, the largest crowds I've ever really juggled for were actually not people that were there to see juggling. They were there to see drum corps. I think the world championships in the finals that year, there were 22,000 people nice. watching. Yeah. So that's the largest crowd I've ever juggled for. That's mo that's more than most people get to juggle for, but they, they weren't there to watch me necessarily. Yeah, we did, uh, for our own show, we did 14,000 at the New Orleans Superdome for an Amway event that came for the Amway conventions, we did our, our you know, hour-long show. And I think we did one time, we did a, a, a football halftime. There was like three rings, and we were the center ring, and uh, that was about 20,000 or so. It was hard. It was hard. It's hard to juggle in those big situations. With all those people watching you, I've, I've never done a halftime show. How did uh, how did you get into... Well, that was tough. We, we, did, we did one football game, and we did two basketball games. Okay. Uh, a long time ago, my partner and I, we had a, a thing we tried called the Juggling Elvises. That's when Elvis, the, the skydiving Elvises were big. Oh, yeah. So we thought, let's try juggling Elvises. And we thought that would be a good act for basketball halftimes. You know, coming out with Elvis music and dressed like Elvis impersonators. It wasn't that much fun. <laughs> we did it twice. <laughs> That's interesting. We have a friend. His name is Joe Gunches, who has a, another friend who does these big halftime shows mm -hmm. for football games. We went out in the center ring. I think we did Torches. And there was okay. a frisbee, a dog act, as I remember, and I forget what that third ring was. I remember it being a, a lot of fun. It, it went really, really fast. I think we did a pretty good job. I thought it was, I thought it was great. I thought it was really, really fun, you know, to do a show that big. Did you or you and your partner have other sort of little ventures, I guess, in your performing career, like where you would devise a new act or a new character or something like that and then go test it with certain audiences like that or what was what was that process like yeah we had we tried a couple different things uh, we, we tried a motivational approach at one time like juggling the principles of success and we tried to do that angle uh it didn't work out very good for us we, we always wanted just to be funny and we didn't really want to be lecturing or telling people how to you know how to behave or how to improve their businesses uh, we also tried to be ninjas one time that was my idea. I thought juggling ninjas was awfully funny. And we did a routine with like noonshucks. 
Oh, yeah. And we ended up uh, passing size around a volunteer from the middle. You know, obviously, we, we came up with a lot of different routines. But for the most part, the characters were the same. We're just us. Obviously, the Raspini characters were, stayed pretty consistent through our entire routine. The two things we tried were the juggling Elvises, the juggling Ninjas, and the motivational stuff. And, of course, I did my golf act, which mm -hmm. was um, a solo endeavor. So I like that kind of stuff. But the main success for us was just purely the comedy show. Now, what, have you ever do any comedy yourself? Have you ever done any talking juggling? Or have you always been a, a silent act on stage? Pretty much always a silent a silent act. I would be terrified to, to get up and uh, try my hand <laughs> at comedy of any sort. And, of course, you know, that stuff... I'm assuming you you know you prepare in advance, but that's something that I've never really um, I've never really thought about trying it. I'm not sh I'm not sure exactly why that is, but I think my focus has always been on the juggling itself. Although I guess you kind of alluded to this, it's it's interesting to see how juggling can be kind of packaged. You know, whether you decide to have message with your juggling and you know sort of balance the juggling with the message, or to just do strictly juggling, right, like a circus act like Gatto, for instance, or to incorporate comedy. How did you find your way into the uh, the comedy space? Well, I started more in the acting world. I was a child actor. I went to theater school. Oh, okay. And so I approached it more as a, a theatrical. And also it was the time of Michael Davis and the Karamazov brothers. And, you know, I wanted to work like Renaissance fairs. I never mm -hmm. thought I could grow up to be Chris Cremo. That was my goal, was to grow up to be Chris Cremo. When I realized I couldn't grow up to be Chris Cremo, I didn't have the look or the or the style. I thought, oh, if I add comedy, because I loved comedy, Woody Allen and you know people I grew up with, and I did this theatrical Shakespearean performing already. So for me, it wasn't difficult getting into the Renaissance fairs and immediately wanting to talk. First school I went to, I went to a mime school because uh, there was no juggling available. So I went to a place called Richmond Shepherd Mind School. And uh, Greg Dean actually came in to be one of our uh, juggling teachers. And also Gino Jones, who went on to become the president of the IGA. Oh, wow. And I did one job as a mime, and I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I just couldn't. I couldn't. I love to talk. So I couldn't, I couldn't juggle and not talk. So for me, being a talker was kind of uh, in the cards to begin with. Sure. Where did, you, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in California. So I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. My early influences were like Peter Davison and Dick Franco, uh, Steve Mills, guys like that, Barrett Felker. I didn't see another juggler myself for like three or four years after I started because there was no internet. <laughs> so we'd go to the library and like look up library books. I remember at one time I saw a juggling poster in a bookstore for a professional juggler uh, and it had like different pictures of him like juggling bowling balls. And I still remember it 45 years later, one poster because I saw so little about juggling and I wanted the poster so bad the guy wouldn't give it to me I thought about coming back and stealing it later but here 45 years later I'm still thinking about who was that juggler on that poster I think it was Steve Mills but I'm not sure yeah yeah I mean I remember at the back of the first juggling book that I got beyond just three teaching three balls and uh, some tricks with three balls they also had instructions to learn four and five and at the back of the book were, were the instructions for five balls and there they had a, a picture of a man juggling a five ball cascade and I thought that was amazing that's that's one of those things that kind of sticks out to me from early on do you remember the first performance that you saw live first time you saw juggling live well, I remember the one that blew my mind it wasn't live but it was Chris Cremo on Merv Griffin when I was 14 that's why Chris Cremo has always been like my hero my favorite juggler there's a recent thing on, on Facebook like name your favorite favorite juggler and it wasn't hard for me, Chris Cremo. Because up till then, I really hadn't seen juggling. I'd seen uh, a guy juggle three apples. 
And I thought I was a great juggler because I was better than the guy I'd seen on TV. And when I saw Chris Cremo and saw my first professional juggler, I was like, oh, that's juggling. Yeah. And my mind was just was blown. As far as live, I remember a long time ago, I, I went to the Santa Monica Pier because I saw a Xerox flyer for a juggling meeting. And I went there and it was uh, David Finnegan, uh, Professor Confidence. Mm -hmm. He was doing some kind of tour through California. And he had Peter Davidson and Steve Mills with him. And I think meeting Peter Davidson was one of my big uh, inspirations, you know, seeing him juggle live. Because I just loved the way he juggled. It just was so classy and so perfect. And I'm like, wow, another guy was better than me, you know? So so those were pretty pretty <laughs> yeah. influential. And then seeing uh, Greg Dean at the Renaissance Fair, he was the obscene juggler. And of course, then seeing Michael Davis were, were big for me. So but let's talk about your WJF experience because... That was very big for you. What, what age were you when you went to your first WJF event? And what were those like for you in your juggling uh, progression? Yeah, I was 10 when I went to my first uh, WJF. And that was my first real juggling event. I mean, it was it was pretty crazy. Up until that point, I had been watching those guys, so like Thomas Dietz and Jason Garfield, Vova, Galchenko, on the internet, on YouTube and stuff, and watching highlights from past conventions there was sort of a an element of celebrity i think that <laughs> washed over me when i went in person seeing these people in real life doing juggling that i had never seen before and that, that was a big deal for me i mean i think once you actually sort of start to form a community meet people meet friends that's really what i think keeps a lot of people around um, in the juggling community for decades so starting to form a community and there were also a couple of jugglers uh, that were my age or close to my age anyway i was probably i might have been the youngest juggler there but yeah some jugglers that were about my age and were interested in the same type of juggling that i was uh, which was really cool those were also some people that i had communicated with over the internet a little bit so it was really cool to meet them and also just to watch the competitions and see what these jugglers were doing of course that was my first competition as well. I competed in the beginner's competition there, and I was actually a little bit nervous to enter the competition before I had seen videos from previous conventions and thought, ah, there's no way I'm going to be able to hold my own in a competition. Sure enough, I went and won, won the beginners that year. So I, I do think that having an early or a relatively early success is something that can, that can keep people in the community as well, or has a great effect on people. I see by my notes that the year before, in 2006, you went and saw the Shoebox Tour. I know Jay is from Indiana, I believe. What was that experience like? Because that's kind of a very avant-garde type of juggling. What did you think about the 2006 Shoebox Tour? And who was on that one? I think I heard about the Shoebox Tour coming through because of the Indie Jugglers Club. I think they just said, hey, these guys are coming to town. You should come see their show. You know, I can't remember everybody who was on it, but obviously Jay was... Eric, uh, Eric Obery, I think is what his name is. Mm -hmm. Obery, yeah. Yep. He was on the tour, and there might have been a Japanese juggler with them at the time. It might have been just Jay and Eric. can't remember who else was on it. Well, you were nine years old, I think, or <laughs> nine or ten, so. Yeah. But what do you think about it? Did you remember thinking, like, whoa, that was weird, or what was your thoughts about it? It was different. I don't remember a ton of it, to be honest. I do remember Eric doing a cigar box routine. That was the first time I had seen somebody do cigar boxes. Thought that was pretty interesting. And I, to be honest, I really can't remember the types of stuff that they were doing. I remember seeing Jay juggle a six ball fountain, and that really stuck out to me. I'd never seen somebody juggle that many objects in person before. That's a pretty pattern, too. And I remember he would hold it for a very long time. 
and just juggle it for a minute or so. <laughs> just keep yeah, going with I, it. Wasn't there a year that he juggled uh, six at the front of the stage and dropped one? I forget. The, the one story I remember, I think, was like Sean Gandini, where he juggled these five breakable like clay balls for like minutes and minutes and minutes. And at the very end, all of them drop and shatter, which I thought was kind oh, of, would be kind of a cool effect. Yeah, I like, I like that kind of stuff. I like all juggling. I like technical, artistic. I like what Jay does. I love what Wes does. You know? mm-hmm. Like, who are your favorite jugglers today to watch? Do you watch a variety of juggling? Are there people who inspire you today? Who are the people you like to watch uh, currently? Yeah, definitely. I think that, I mean, I love watching Wes Peden's juggling. I think no, no matter what your interest is in juggling or what type of juggling you like to do, he's always a great person to watch just seeing the types of stuff that he comes up with yeah amazing yeah yes yeah, stuff that it's almost sometimes you think oh how how has nobody done this before or <laughs> wow this is just all sorts of super creative stuff so wes definitely is on the list um what about jonah he's probably one of your contemporaries right was it jonah greenhouse jonah bakovic greenhouse yeah jonah yeah jonah's amazing to watch he's not juggling much at the moment uh due to due to some injury but Oh. He's sort of an example of a juggler that before I kind of took a break from juggling in college, he was sort of up and coming a little. I think he might be a, a year, a couple of years younger than I am. And uh, when I sort of came back to juggling, he had improved so much to the point where he was definitely one of the best jugglers in the world and just mind-blowingly good. I think another juggler that I like to watch is uh, Hovard Vidsten. Uh, he's Norwegian. He's got really, really big technical skills and is also super creative and super innovative. And he balances those two things really well in his in his juggling. Yeah, he's he's an incredible juggler to watch. And uh, Delaney, Delaney Bayless, mm-hmm. she's been posting stuff on her Instagram recently that is just completely incredible to me. Different throws that she can do with rings that I've never seen anybody do before. I think that there are a lot of a lot of great jugglers doing, and I, I wish I could name all that. There's so many jugglers that are just doing incredible stuff right now. Well, that's a good, that's a good selection. I mean, it's, you get, you get lost, man. You watch on the videos, you see the guy doing like the seven club Alberts or something, or it's just craziness. It's just craziness. So now let me ask you a question because like Joan, I think is in the same boat that there's a group of jugglers who are amazing jugglers, but they're not considering like being jugglers professionally. They're better than a lot of jugglers who work professionally but their interest isn't in pursuing it as a profession. And that's your story, right? That you have no desire to, to make it a career. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't, I don't really think so at this point. I was just kind of reflecting on that, you know, the past couple of days. I think for me, it's kind of the idea of I don't want juggling to become the thing that I guess I rely on to earn money, if that makes sense. I don't want it to become something that feels like a job for me. Yeah, I mean, beyond that, I don't have necessarily an, an act. I don't have comedy skills or, uh, you know, I can't even ride a unicycle. I, I've just been, <laughs> just been juggling this, this entire time. And I sort of went through high school and college like anybody else in some sense, you know, expecting to come out of college and have a quote unquote normal, typical day job. That's where I find myself now. I think that's okay. It's been interesting to sort of balance the juggling because I still do have a pretty good desire to keep juggling and keep improving and maybe even keep performing, you know, at conventions and uh, traveling, meeting other jugglers. Now, really, my job takes up quite a bit of my time. So balancing those responsibilities or those priorities has been a challenge for sure. And what is your job? What's your career uh, trajectory like now? Yeah, right now I'm working my first job. I've been working there for about 
a little over a year now, and I work at a history museum outside of oh. Indianapolis that specializes in American history and Indiana history, and I do their email marketing. I write their emails and design them, sort of set the strategy for them, and yeah, all, all of that stuff. I really run a lot of the museum's communications, so my degree in college was arts administration, which broadly speaking, is nonprofit management for arts and culture organizations. And that's that's exactly where I find myself now. I'm not sure if I want to sort of continue on that path, working for museums or orchestras, concert venues, things like that. But for our first job, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Now, you say it's your first job, but what about Bubs, Burgers, and Ice Cream? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I worked, uh, I guess it's I guess it's my first job. Um, my this first job in my adult life. <laughs> See, we, nothing gets past us to drop everything. Our staff here, our crack, uh, they, we've studied your life from the very beginning. And we remember <laughs> your time at Bub's Burgers and Ice Cream. So I remember that time fondly as well. Yeah, it's a really popular uh, burger restaurant in Carmel, where I grew up. Yeah, I you know, start, started doing dishes there in high school and then bus tables and then eventually waited tables too. Yeah, that was my, my first actual job in high school as well. Uh, I, I appreciated that about sort of my upbringing was that work was definitely encouraged at a certain point. That's something that I started to do, started to, and especially through the juggling too, I guess just understanding the value of hard work. Yeah, one of my first jobs was Raldo's Burgers. I was a grill cook, and I flipped burgers and made uh, patty melts and breakfast and all that stuff. I think learning to work and being a, a have a good work ethic it helps you in juggling because you realize, oh, someone's paying me this this very small amount, and I'm doing this hour after hour. Why can't I do something on my own, hour after hour, that I want to do? Do I need someone to pay me a few dollars an hour? Or so I thought. Wow, I just I would juggle a lot more than I would work because I thought, this is what I want to do for work. So mm -hmm. I just figured it was a good experience to do something I didn't want to do just for money. Sure. When, when did you kind of decide that juggling was something you wanted to do for your career? Uh, I probably always wanted to do it in the back of my mind, like from when I learned at 14. Uh, certainly the idea of being a professional juggler, I just didn't think I could do it. It was probably like 17 or 18 when I saw friends working Renaissance fairs and doing more of the comedy stuff, I started getting some solo work. And of course, I teamed up with my partner very young. I was only 19 when mm -hmm. we teamed up, me and Barry Friedman. And that was a big help. I mean, obviously, because we were together for 35 years. That was a long, long, long partnership. He retired uh, three years ago from our act. Oh, wow. How did you meet Barry? Uh, through juggling. We, I was riding my bicycle. I was about 17, 18. He grew up in the same area I did. And I just saw him and Mike Boyer, who was his first partner, in a park. And they were passing clubs. And I was riding by, and I'd already been juggling a few years by then. And I was just like, jugglers! <laughs> and so, But then we didn't really become friendly right away. Me and Mike became better friends. It wasn't until 1980 when we were both at the Fargo convention, IGA convention. No, what was your first IGA convention? You've been to a couple IGAs. You, how many how many total WGFs did you go to? Total. Four or five? Or? Yeah, I went to... I think I went to four. Yeah, I went to four. When was the last one you went to? Uh, that was 2011 in Springfield, mm -hmm. Springfield, Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, because I peeked in last year to the, what's he called now, Mox, uh, the Moxie Games or the... Yeah, I yeah, I think it... Yeah, Moxie Games or uh, SkillCon. SkillCon, SkillCon. Yeah, I peeked in last year. Yeah, I mean, I th I think the WJF inspired an entire, an entire generation of... And I think they're kind of growing up now and juggling sort of carrying on that sort of style or 
that that type of juggling and I think it did great things for the community and I wouldn't be surprised if juggling competitions like that come you know where there's sort of scoring or different styles of competition come back in the future I hope so as a result of what what the WJF did yeah well, I, I appreciate the WJF and I appreciate what Jason Garfield has done because I've only seen a couple of guys like Jay Gilligan or Jason Garfield carve out these very unique paths through juggling mm-hmm. kind of bending juggling to what they wanted it to be most of us fit into what was sort of pre-existing, you know, especially to make right. money, going the, the comedy juggling route or the cruise ship route, where Jason and Jay obviously have two very different directions, but both very unique and both have, uh, have earned their place in the world of juggling and the history of juggling for sure. Yeah. Like Let's go back to more about your history. So I know you performed at the IJ and uh, you, you won. You were the juniors champion in 2014. What was that experience like? Yeah, that was that was quite an experience. I think at that point that might have my fourth time entering the juniors. Oh, okay. That was the year I sort of teamed up with Richard Kennison to develop an idea for an act, which was sort of the the magician character. It was a really great time. That festival happened to be in Indiana, so it was kind of cool that I could win when it was in my home state. Yeah, that year I don't uh, Richard didn't really coach much on the juggling. We did kind of work together to know figure out what tricks I wanted to do and what I could do sort of reliably on stage but yeah I mean it just felt great to sort of close that I guess that chapter of my time with the IJA I think I was I think I was 17 at the time so that was my last year that I could do it and it was really great I always loved juggling for the people at the IJA I did the I did the youth showcase for a couple years uh, my first couple of festivals and then the juniors after that and it really does feel like a family you know, supporting you in the audience and that's a really i think unique feeling and what about uh, seniors you never competed in individuals no not yet uh <laughs> i was actually planning on entering for this year for this right. summer but of course that didn't happen i know they had the online competitions but i said no nah, I'll yeah. wait until it's in person again. So that's definitely something will be on the on the horizon for the future. Actually, I was kind of thinking about competing in the seniors uh, last summer when it was also in Indiana. And just when I started thinking about competing, one of the festival organizers got in touch with me and asked if I wanted to perform in the Cascade of Stars. I said, absolutely, because then <laughs> right. I felt... There's not, there's not really the competitive pressure there, and you can enter the seniors any year, but the Cascade of Stars, that opportunity might not come around again for a while. I'm definitely planning on doing it in the future. We'll just see how how sort of things play out. How did it feel when it became uh, obvious that you were going to be the headliner? Because I don't think you were expecting that at first, but you ended up being the, the closing act in that show. Did that add some extra pressure? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That was pretty crazy. I guess I was just a little bit confused about why I was the closing act. I mean, there were so many good jugglers in the show last year, and it was certainly an honor. It was quite the experience. And I think at that point, you know, I was just sort of coming back into juggling after taking uh, a little bit of a break. And so that was my first time on stage and well, since since I was in the juniors competition. It was quite the experience, but the audience was really supportive of me. Yeah, and you pulled it off. You did a good job. I mean, it's a nice performance. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to hear after the fact that people enjoyed it. Oh, it was great. I mean, especially with all that pressure being thrown at as the, the last act, 
you were there to provide the red meat, big burly tricks, and uh, <laughs> and you did it. That was a very good festival. I thought David Kane did a very nice job in in directing that festival. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It was really cool to be back after five years of no juggling gatherings. It really felt like I was sort of coming home. Just going in the gym and being greeted by people I hadn't seen in a while, and just so many people that I that I knew uh, before and reconnecting. Yeah, it was an awesome time, and I, I cannot wait until we can have festivals like normal again. Well, hopefully next year, right? Let's let's hope for let's shoot for next year. I'm not sure where it is next year. I think it's in. I think this year was supposed to be El Paso. I'm not mm-hmm. exactly sure where next year is. I don't know. Yeah. But hopefully we can we can be there in person. Uh, let me ask you about a couple of your of your records. Sure. Now, what is your uh, seven club record currently? Right now, it's I think 100 145 catches. So nice. Um, that's just about 30 seconds. Now you also have some some strange records. You have five club flats. Is that still a current record you hold? Five club flats? I'm not sure. It might be. I'm sure that there are people that have done it longer than I have, just without the video evidence to right. sort of support a record. But yeah, for whatever reason, I've always been able to do the flats for a long time. So that's one that I haven't tried to haven't tried to run for longer in a while. This one seems impossible. Six club singles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, a spin control you got there, you know? Yeah, definitely. That's one that I just started working on a little bit more this year. And that's one that I'd really love to get more solid in the future. It's just, uh, I mean, it's a lot of clubs to be throwing with that amount of, I guess, loft. <laughs> yeah. It's um, to control the space in the air in front of you is quite challenging. But I've been sort of working on some drills for that. And hopefully next year I can devote a little more time to it. Yeah, I, th- I guess just as I've been working a full-time job and wanting to get better at juggling, my approach to practicing has kind of changed a little bit. I think what I want to try to do for the future is just set a couple of different specific goals and specific tricks that I want to learn in any given year, kind of like in like a New Year's resolution. I think I sometimes come into a new year and think to myself, okay, well, I just want to get better. That's not very specific or, or measurable. I think that that type of goal setting is going to be useful for me in the future. I also recently started learning how to juggle with a ball bouncing on my head, and that's been quite the trip already. Very, very, very difficult. And another case in which I appreciate Gatto's skill even more. Yeah, insane, right? Like seven clubs with a ball bouncing in your head, nine rings. And I always like the trick where the, you juggle the rings, and whether it's seven or six, and pull the rings over your head in between the bounces. Oh yeah, that's a good one. How about that five club back crosses? What's your what's your record for that? Uh, 150, 150 catches. Nice, nice. And also, you're quite a joggler, or is that just for the one festival? Because I think you joggled what seven balls, seven ball, hundred meters. Yeah, that was yeah. That's the only time I've done joggling. I can't <laughs> I can't remember how that started, but I think somebody just asked me if I wanted to do it. I know Len Len Furman who mm-hmm. organizes the joggling events most years and he might have asked me to take part in that i can't remember who exactly it was that was the one time and it was interesting (laughs) i think albert lucas was there that year actually what was your time so you juggled uh, 100 meters with seven balls do you remember what the time was ah i cannot remember like 20 seconds or something or i don't know i don't know what a good time is i i you probably could beat me just running uh seven meters you know or 100 meters hey let me ask you another question 
How important is the top 40 jugglers to you? Like if you got in the top 40 jugglers, is that a pretty big deal? Do you really feel like that's a, a, a major accomplishment nowadays? Yeah, I'd say that it is. I think it's sort of the closest thing that the juggling community has to, I guess, kind of a ranking system of mm-hmm. sorts, even though it's not you know based on skill, it's based on popularity. I think it's something that motivates jugglers for sure. And also just to see year to year who is sort of trending up and who is becoming more popular. Yeah, I think it's something that a lot of jugglers like. Like, and it's just uh, sort of something to anticipate at the end of the year. I've been on it a couple times. In the past, it was not really something I worked to... It wasn't a goal of mine to get on it. It is really cool to see people list you as one of their favorite jugglers of the year at the end of the year. It's kind of a, a nice reminder that people like what you're doing. I wouldn't know how that feels. I've never been... I don't think I've ever gotten a single vote. Well, I mean, it's this, I think it's the same type of recognition that you would get from performing right it's just um it's just different i'm I'm just kidding i don't put out that much video content i'm not that kind of juggler i'm from the older generation so i like it though i think it's a great thing and i like to see when uh, people make the list or they move up or down i think it's great i I remember just seeing you on there a couple of times especially in 2019 when you you made the list again because you started putting out more content and you did the big performance of the iga and then you got back on the list which I thought was great. Yeah, yeah, it was super cool to see that. Now, what's the hardest trick you've ever pulled off on video? Like, if I went on YouTube, what do you think is your hardest trick that you've done? If I were to look you up, what do you think is your biggest trick accomplishment? Probably the hardest trick I've done at this point is uh, six six clubs, throw one up really high, and then do a five up 360 underneath the high ones. So (laughs) one high and five low underneath uh, all six clubs. I don't think I've put that online yet, but I'm planning maybe in the next week or so to post a, a video of all my biggest tricks from this year. So that'll that'll definitely be in there. What about a seven club pirouette? You pulled that one off? All seven up? Uh, not all seven up. Um, I've done the five up a few times now, but nice. the seven up is crazy. <laughs> what do you throw up? You throw up quadruples? What do you th- what do you flash up there? Yeah, or quads. Quads. Yeah. Crazy. Hey, yeah. we've come to the end of our time. Our hour went by very fast. Let's sort of leave with some final thoughts. What do you think about uh, your future in juggling? It sounds like you want to stay involved. You want to do shows. Let's say someone offered you uh, a tour and an opportunity to be a professional juggler. It just sort of fell on your lap. Do you think you'd jump at it or do you think you'd kind of still go on the path you're going? Oh, man. Yeah, that, that'd be pretty interesting. I mean, of course, it would depend on what the what the offer was, but I think out of all the times in in your life to sort of explore things and try new things, I'd say your 20s are probably the right years to do it. So at this point, I'd definitely be open to it. And have you voted? I have not voted yet. I will be voting in person on election day. I've got a polling site that is five minute walk from my apartment. So I'm excited to go and uh, cast my vote. Good, good. Congratulations. I'm glad you're voted. I'm glad you're taking part of the procedure to uh, be part of our government and see what happens next. And I'm very interested to see what happens next. I hopefully will see you next year competing at the IGA. And we'll see a lot more great videos from you. And I really appreciate you coming on Drop Everything, Jack. And I wish you the best. Jack, danger, danger. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you having me on today. Thanks, Jack Danger. Thanks, man. You're the best. I hope you enjoy Drop Everything podcast number 89, my conversation with Jack Danger. Thanks, Jack. Good luck with your future pursuits and, of course, with your amazing juggling skills. Go to juggle.org and find out about the IJA. Support our sponsor, the International Jugglers Association. And go to Amazon.com and check out my new book, Alex the Great, a story about juggling and street performing for all of you jugglers who like to read.
All right, now go out there and drop everything, except when you're juggling.